Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your service, family, and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to take this opportunity to invest in you. Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I am so excited to be back. And more than anything, I am so honored that you are joining me for another season. If you're brand new listening to the podcast, welcome. I hope you'll go back and listen to some of the previous seasons and previous episodes. Um, I hope you'll find that over time, I've gotten the hang of this a whole lot more. And um, I think that the interviews and the content just gets better and better. I just want to thank so many of you who um, contributed to the survey about the podcast at the end of last season. You gave me some great ideas and some wonderful things to think about as I went into my winter sabbatical. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in just a minute, but you really did give me some great feedback and I'm so appreciative of um, feedback anytime and I would encourage you to continue to reach out to me through email. You can email me at info at coreyweathers.com or on my Facebook page. Um, it's Corey Weathers and you'll see hashtag correspondent is the nickname for that Facebook page. I am always looking for content that will speak to you and that will breathe life into your marriage and your family. And so, um, and that's going to be a lot of what this episode is on today, um, where we're going to be talking about the results of a survey that I put out that went viral. But before we get into that, I wanted to share with you a little bit about my time during my sabbatical and um, give you some things to look forward to for 2019 and some things that I have in store on ways that I can breathe life into your family. And so those of you who've been following me for a while know that every winter I take what's called a sabbatical, which is really just some time off to be quiet and think and um, really just be more intentional about the direction that I'm heading. Uh, the winter is a perfect time to do that. I would highly encourage those of you who can do it to consider some kind of break or sabbatical or time off, a retreat, something like that, just to refocus. For me, it is during the winter because I've found that during the holidays especially, people are not um, as apt to invite me to speak for things or fiscal years have ended. Um, and everybody's concentrating on their family and circling the wagons. And it definitely encourages me to do that as well for my family. This most recent sabbatical was a little bit longer than usual. Matt had shoulder surgery, and when you only have one arm, um, I definitely went into a caregiving role for our family during that time, and so I took that extra time to really make sure that our family was on the mend and I'm kind of in a battle rhythm before I jumped back into work. And so thank you for your patience while you've been waiting for this season to kick off. Um, I will definitely say that I have a whole new respect for our caregivers out there, whether you're caregiving for children or a spouse on any kind of level. Um, it really does take a lot of physical energy and mental energy. And um, I really thought about you guys a lot, those of you who are caregivers, during this um, sabbatical where I was really helping Matt do everything really because there's not much you can do with one arm, um, whether it was showering or dressing, um, taking on all of the household chores. I said several times to him, you know, this really feels like a, a deployment in some ways that I, even though you're here, I'm taking on more than we normally would when we share those responsibilities. And so it was my joy to do that for him. And he's back to work and um, on the mend, and that's been great. Um, but we had several conversations about all of you and thinking about a lot of our veterans who have physical disabilities and really just took that time to really be thoughtful of what you guys go through every day. 
So otherwise, things that I was thinking about during my sabbatical. So you may have noticed that I shut down the LifeGiver app in the fall. Um, I, those of you who are just now joining may not have realized that I had an app. I've actually had a few of you um, ask me about where to find the app because there's still some things floating around that says that it's out there. And I did start an app called the LifeGiver app that held the LifeGiver podcast. It held some other content, marriage curriculum, and it was interactive. And it was a super cool thing to have. And honestly, it did great. Um, I really enjoyed the process of that. But as technology has improved and you're able to do Facebook Lives, YouTube stuff is is really growing, um, the need for the app as being a one-stop shop wasn't as necessary anymore. And if I were to be completely honest with you, towards the fall or towards the end um, of last season, it really was a place that really sucked a lot of my energy because I would get really excited about how to be creative on that platform. And what I found is that I had several projects, including the app going, and I felt like I was just doing okay or putting out decent content everywhere. Um, but I really want to deliver excellence to you. And so my sabbatical was really a time to focus on everything that I had on my plate and ask myself, how can I um, narrow where I'm putting that energy and kind of have a more laser intentional focus where I'm really doing my best to put out excellence in a few areas instead of mediocre content in lots of places. So hopefully that makes sense. So that was one of the reasons why I let go of the app. Um, as Maria Kondo would say, I thanked it for the joy that it had brought into my life during that season, but it was time for me to let that go, and it felt like the right decision, and I feel really good about it. So um, a couple of other things that I thought about during the sabbatical was I really concentrated on what does it mean to breathe life? Um, what does it mean to breathe life into my own marriage and to my own family, such as really being intentional to take care of Matt during that season um, and do that well? Um, but also, what does that mean to breathe life into you and your family and how do I do that well? And what does that actually really look like? And the more that I thought about that, the more I kept coming back to that initial survey that I put out asking you for your feedback on what did you want to see come out of the podcast and the content that I deliver. Um, and, you know, there was a few people in there that um, gave me some negative responses. But for the most part, what I got from you is that you really enjoyed um, the interviews and these solo episodes like the one I'm doing right now. Um, that you wanted to hear a little bit more from Matt, which I totally agree. Anytime I can get him um, into the podcast is is awesome. And so I hope to have more opportunities to do that here in the future. This has just been a very busy season for him, and I've been trying to be respectful of that. Um, but you also, a lot of you asked for more faith-based content. And I know that there's some of you listening that would rather not have me be faith-based. And in the past, I've tried to be very neutral on that. And that is out of respect for all the listeners. And I'm going to continue to be that way. I want this to be a place where you feel like you can um, come no matter really what your belief system is, but it's about breathing that hope and encouragement. Um, I won't say but or however, but I think I'm going to say and. Um, so I am going to remain neutral and 
Um, I want to be more authentic and true to myself. And when I ask myself the question, what does it mean to breathe life into my family and breathe life into you, to me, that means bringing you the truth. And sometimes the truth is more of a psychological truth of this is just how couples communicate better. Or here are the things that can really destroy your communication or your relationships. And sometimes that's delivering hard truth. But sometimes truth and breathing life into a situation, which means breathing hope into a situation, means that I authentically need to also tell you when our human capacity for understanding and reason runs out. And there are some times that only the truth of having a solid faith system or knowing that there's something bigger than yourself is the hard truth that I would be lying to you to give you just some kind of placated answer of what the world would say and that when I know that only goes so far. So um, there's going to be a couple ways that I'm going to go about that for this season that you can look forward to. Number one, I don't want that to scare those of you who have really enjoyed this being kind of a neutral podcast. It is going to continue to be that. And I think you're going to find that it's a very comfortable way to listen. Um, But you might see a continuation of my faith being threaded throughout um, if the topic um, brings that up or if our interviewed guest happens to bring that up um, because a lot of guests come on and I don't anticipate them sharing their faith, but I leave it as an open place where they can feel comfortable if they'd like to do that. And a lot of them do. They are stories that are powerful of them coming to the end of their rope and realizing There is nothing left if you don't have something bigger than yourself that carries you. And so I don't stop the guests from sharing that if that's what they want to share. But another thing that you can look forward to that's going to be different this year for the podcast is what's going to be called a Sunday special. And so probably one podcast a month. So an additional podcast will come out every month. Um, that will be a Sunday special, and that one will specifically be more faith-based. So for example, the first Sunday special for this season is going to be a talk that Matt and I gave um, at our undergrad. So our alumni, um, our alma mater actually, invited us to come back and speak with the students there, and um, we gave a talk about what it means to tell your story and embrace your story, and a lot of it has come out of lessons learned of serving service families. And that one is a little bit more faith-based, and you guys also wanted to hear from Matt a little bit as well. So the first Sunday special that you're going to hear is going to be the talk that he and I gave to the students at Gardner-Webb University on embracing your story um, and how your faith plays a role in that. So you'll hear um, various Sunday specials with interviewed guests, possibly some chaplains coming in, some um, spouses out there that have an amazing story that involves their faith. And I really want those episodes to be kind of that extra layer of hope and encouragement of hearing how other people have incorporated faith and the truth into their life. For those of you who want more of those faith-based stories, you can find that on the Sunday specials. So um, what else do I have coming this year? Um, Okay, the other big announcement is, and then we're going to get right into this um, episode's topic for sure. I want to make sure we have plenty of time to do that. The other change, I guess, is that I felt really convicted as I was going into the sabbatical Um, about everything pointing to me and my name. When I think about being a life giver, um, my deepest joy is breathing life and hope into other people. And so I really started to feel a little convicted that everything had my name all over it. (laughs) 
um, whether it was my Facebook page or my website, CoreyWeathers.com, and um, or you know, in some ways, even the podcast was all directed towards specifically my website. And so I kind of started to feel a little convicted about that because to me, everything that I do is really about encouraging you. It's not about pointing it back to me. And so I started this process of kind of separating that a little bit. So I do still have coreyweathers.com for those who are interested in doing coaching or counseling with me or inviting me to speak to something or need information on me in order to pull those things together. Um, but I also created a separate website. So it's life-giver.org is the website. I tried to get lifegiver.com, but they wanted me to pay like a whole bunch of money for that site, which I was unwilling to do because everything I provide is pretty much free. So um, it is life-giver.org is the new website. And you can find the podcast there. You can find blogs on there. So there's various, um, anytime just something stirs my heart and I want to write on it, the blog is there. Um, There's also a new chaplain spouse blog. So um, the chaplain spouse community is, you know, it's a group of military spouses, um, but they tend to uh, become a little isolated and they're kind of floaters in the military spouse world. And so um, we created a chaplain spouse blog for chaplain spouses to actually write about what it's like to be a chaplain spouse and some of the um, the wonderful things, but also some of the difficulties there as a way of supporting chaplain spouses. But if you're interested, please feel free to go and read any of those blogs. I think you'll get a lot of insight into what your chaplain spouse, if you have one um, attached to your unit, those of you who are military, um, what their life is like and ways that you can actually serve your chaplain spouse because a lot of them are serving you, um, but probably don't get fed a lot themselves. So that's on there. Um, there's going to be the enlivened curricula- curriculum is on there if you're interested in marriage curriculum, and that's going to be updated this year too. More on that to come later. Um, but a lot of just really great stuff. And I see that website as being kind of a community website where it's not just about me and the content I'm putting out, but it's about the community and you guys encouraging each other. So if you're interested in writing for the blog or if you have other ideas of ways you would like to be a life giver, um, especially on that website, I am open um, to whatever you are interested in contributing um, as long as it's in line with the mission and values of Life Giver. So all of you are talented out there um, and I know that lots of you do things like photography and um graphic design and writing and different things like that. So um, if you're interested, email me info at coreyweathers.com. I would love to share that space with you. So those are the updates. Um, So not a a lot of brand new stuff happening in the next year, but like I said, more of a laser focused um, approach to trying to deliver things with excellence doing those few things better. So you'll still be able to find videos on my YouTube channel for the episodes that are videos. Not every single one will be. Um, But for example, like the Sunday special of us speaking at the university, that will actually be a video one that you can either listen to on the podcast or you can watch it on YouTube. And follow me on my Facebook page for, for when that content comes out and you'll be able to be notified on what that looks like. Um, Other than that, I think what we need to do is dive into today's episode, which is all about the anonymous spouse survey that came out, that I put out 
um, a couple months ago. And so let me give a little bit of backstory as to why I was doing the survey in the first place. Um, so basically, I was writing curriculum for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and their partnership with Baylor University. We've been working on curriculum for mental health professionals, so counselors, therapists that are out there wanting to work with service families, both military and first responder. And um, we've been writing this curriculum. It's kind of a CEU workshop for mental health professionals to teach them on cultural competency of how to work with our community. And so I had already written the intro module and they asked me to um, write the module on spouses. So all of you who are listening who are what I call supporting spouses, and, and that's just a word that I use to clear up any com, you know, confusion, um, just so we can talk about who's the serving spouse and who's the supporting spouse. Um, and I was gathering research out there in order to write this module, and there's a lot of stuff out there on kind of how what contributes to wellness for families, what contributes to uh, military spouse wellness. There's not a whole lot out there on first responders. Um, there's definitely like the impact of PTSD and how many are struggling with employment and things like that. Um, and that was all useful to write the curriculum that I needed to to teach these mental health professionals on what is the life of a military and first responder spouse look like. But because I provide coaching and counseling to spouses all the time um, and to married couples, there are things that I hear about behind closed confidential doors that I've heard about for years and I honestly also relate to. Um, that don't show up in the research. And so I know that, and it's a lot of stuff that we have addressed even here on the podcast. So things like um, underlying resentment when you as a military spouse have moved so frequently and you have to start over so many times and how difficult that is to put yourself out there when you've just done it over and over and over again. Um, or for first responder spouses, what that's like to go through these shift changes constantly and to worry about your um, husband or wife's um, safety every single day um, and the impact that that has on you. So I knew that there were extra things, extra issues that would probably show up in the counseling office um, that you're not going to find in research. And so I created a survey to get those kind of that extra data, that extra information, because otherwise, if I would have just written the module, it would, it would have looked like I was just making it up. I needed to somehow prove that this was actually what's going on out there. So I created an anonymous survey and I put it out there asking some very open-ended questions um, that would kind of give me that information. And what I was not expecting was 741 responses to this survey. And I have you guys to thank for that. Um, it is an overwhelming amount of data and information that I will be pulling from for a very long time. Um, this is not something we're going to be able to thoroughly go over in this one episode. Um, so I'm trying to pull out some big takeaways that I think that you would find interesting from what I got from this survey. But because it was an anonymous survey, it gave you guys the permission to really be honest and really say some things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise say out loud and it would not be traced back to you. So um, so like, like I said, thank you. I'm still overwhelmed. Even when I was preparing for this episode, I was going through the survey responses and um, really just had to stop myself because seven seven, almost 750 entries is a lot of data to read through. And I'm still learning 
from it. And so it's it, it definitely gave me everything I needed to write what I felt was a really thorough, good module for those mental health clinicians that I think will educate them in a way that they're not going to get anywhere else. So first of all, thank you to all of you who participated in that. Um, and I and especially to the first responder group out there, um, there's not a whole lot of information for you guys out there. And so you guys did a great job sharing. And I am so happy to report that it was a good, healthy chunk of first responder um, participants in that survey, which really balanced out the information. So Thank you again for that. And so a lot of you responded and said, thank you for the opportunity to do the survey, that it really opened your eyes to some questions that you hadn't thought about um, reflecting on your own life, and that you also wanted to hear some of the results and what I would have to say about it. So that's what this episode is about. And I think it's a good vision casting for the next year for some of you to be able to think about what your year um, is gonna intentionally look like. So um, let me start off with just some basic demographics just so that you kind of know what I saw in the results. To start with, um, 99.2% of those that filled out the survey were female. So there was a couple men. Um, it obviously doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that's reflective of the community um, that at least 97% of the, the spouse community is female and so those of you who are men um, I am so thankful whenever you do fill out these surveys because it does give us information on how you guys are doing and what your needs are as well Um, I asked the question do you today feel you have all the support you need to navigate this service lifestyle in a way that results in you thriving as an individual So um, I think this is an important question because I know that the military community talks of need, they have overwhelming amount of support and programming um, and that they should be okay. Um, However, I know for a fact that most military families don't utilize the amount of programming, much less know um, what to seek after if they needed it. Um, In a lot of ways, the military community is oversaturated with programs. And so it's kind of, it reminds me of, I think it was at the Hurt Locker was a movie that came out where he comes home from a deployment, goes to the grocery store and is overwhelmed by the amount of choices of cereal in the cereal aisle. And so in a way, I kind of see that with military families that there's so many options, so many um, DOD programs and, and family programs and help out there, um, not to mention all the nonprofits and other resources that it can be almost so overwhelming that people just don't go towards any of that support at all because it's just too much to choose from and they don't know where to start and it's just a very loud amount of resources coming at them. So I do want to um, maybe point out that stigma that um, just because military families have a lot of resources doesn't mean they know where to go if they needed that help. Um, But interestingly enough, um, let's see, this is a combined everybody. So out of all, you know, almost 750 responses, you know, including first responders, including veteran um, spouses and even dual service, that 46% said that they did not have everything that they needed to navigate. Um, and another 
almost 15% said they weren't sure. So if I add those two together, I mean, really talking close to 60% of our community doesn't feel like they have everything they need to support them. And I think that that's an important number for you guys to think about, especially if those of you out there are providing those resources and we need to communicate them in different ways, or if there are if there's some level of support that you see a need for and you have done your research to know it's not already out there something for you to consider um, for those of you who are looking for ways to get involved or to um, live out a sense of purpose or calling in your life, which, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about later. Um, okay, other demographics, um, just so you know who took the survey, uh, let's see, 37% were first responder spouses, such a great number, thank you guys. Um, and almost 48% were military spouses. If I were to push this out again, I would try to increase the number of veteran spouses and dual service spouses that contributed. Um, but still, that's a really great number and a really great breakdown um, of those who took the survey. Um, so, okay, I'm gonna zoom through a little bit of this because I really wanna get to the meat because we're gonna talk about how are we doing as a community um, and some things that some themes that stood out to me but um, there's definitely a huge number of you who are not doing as well as you could. And I, we're going to talk about why that is, like what might be going on in your life um, that keeps you from doing as well as you'd like to. And then there, there was definitely those in the survey that are doing great and literally in a wonderful place in their life and feeling like they're thriving. And so when we finish up the episode today, we're going to end on what is it that they're doing and what can we learn from them so that we can apply that to our life and we can um, perhaps get ourselves to a much healthier place and a better place depending on where you're at. So let's, um, you know, I, I always talk about in the podcast or when I'm teaching somewhere that it's very important that we have honest conversation and kind of sit in what I call a pocket um, of feeling what we need to feel, talking about what's really true, turning on the lights and saying, okay, you know, let's just, you know, we all know it's in the room, so let's talk about it. But the important thing to me always is that we don't stay there. It's important to talk about it, process it, but not camp out there and build a house there. We've got to figure out how to move forward. And um, and I think that what these spouses are doing really well is what we can learn from them so that we are starting to move forward. So let's talk about sitting in that pocket and, and talk about how the community, I think, is really doing. So um, I asked everybody um, separately, depending on what they chose, if they were a first responder or a military spouse or a veteran spouse, I asked them all separately, what's your favorite part of being a military a military spouse or, or supporting spouse? Um, here's what I thought was really interesting, because I asked what's your favorite part, but then I also asked what's your biggest challenge? And what stood out to me that I thought was really interesting is that what we love the most about our lifestyle is ironically what we also struggle with the most. Let me say that again. So what we love the most about this lifestyle is ironically what we also struggle with the most. Now, that wasn't 100% true across the board. So if you don't feel like this is true in your life, that's okay. There's others that participated in the survey that would have you know, said something different. But it was a theme that I saw continuously throughout the responses. So, for example, um, 
those of you who said that your favorite part of this lifestyle is the community and the camaraderie and the people that you get to associate with that are also part of the community, um, that you also said that the most difficult part was the lack of community and the lack of connection that you felt was there. So it's interesting to point out that what draws us most is that you know that a community exists. You know that that camaraderie and connection exists. But so many of you, military or first responder, are finding yourselves lacking that community or not reaching out and establishing that community or following through with it. Or maybe you're in a new spot where um, you can't have access to it or you're focused on the kids at home, something like that. Something's going on where we're just tired and we're not reaching out to that community. And I thought that was interesting. I also heard from some that said that their favorite part was the adventure and, and the differentness, if I can use that adjective, um, of being in this lifestyle. So that it felt different from the civilian community. And, and for a lot of the military families, that it was an adventure no matter where you go. Or for first responder families, that it's different every day. Um, and that you're very proud of what your spouse does. Um, that it's a patriotic thing. That you love to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, But on the other side, the challenge of that was that you also had a very difficult time fitting in or feeling like you could explain that adventure or explain that difference to external family members, to the civilian population, that this thing that you loved about it also made you feel very different and other. And that was a huge challenge for you. Um... Some of you also said that your favorite thing about this lifestyle was how proud you were, how patriotic you were, how um, either proud of your spouse or proud to be part of serving the country or community, that there was kind of that, that healthy pride of being a service family that was one of your favorite things about being in this lifestyle. But the challenge of that was feeling the public tensions, feeling the debates, feeling people were not as... Um, not as excited or thankful or appreciative of your service, especially those first responder families, um, or that um, the sense of pride has gone down in America. So, and that was a challenge for you. So I think the point, the first thing that I'm wanting to point out here is that it's very interesting to me that the thing that we love the most is probably most likely the thing that we need the most And because we know it's possible to meet that need in the community. So let me maybe unpack that or explain that just a little bit. That the thing that we love the most, such as the community, we love it the most and we appreciate it the most because we know it's possible. We know it's available. We've maybe even experienced it before. And because of that, it met a need in our life that felt so wonderful and felt so connective that when it's not there, it leaves a deep void in our life that um, is for some very just excruciating and that you find yourself in a very lonely place. And it's even more lonely because you know that the community is right outside your door or um, maybe that community you had is, is now on Facebook in a different state. But the point here is that you know that it's available you know that it's possible because you've experienced it before and therefore because you're not accessing it now there's a deep void in your life and it has become the biggest challenge 
I think that that is really important for us to think about. So if you are one of those that would, that's nodding your head that's saying, yeah, I agree to that. Like that is one of the biggest challenges for me is that I'm in a very lonely place and I can't even tell you the number of people out of the seven, if I had the time to actually do the math, which will take me a long time to do, um, considering the kind of survey this was, I think that there is an overwhelming number of you out there who are very lonely, um, that you are uh, maybe a stay-at-home mom and all of your energy is going towards your family. Uh, maybe you're working and it, some of your energy goes towards that too. And at the end of the day, you don't have the connections and the friendships that you've had before. And because of that, um, the void there is huge and you're feeling not only exhausted, but also lonely. And so we need to talk about that and we need to talk about what do we do to fill that void? What are we going to do to meet that need? And I would definitely apply that to um, the feeling different or other than when you're talking about external family members or friends that don't understand. Um, you know, I've had those experiences myself. And so you often don't realize how lonely you feel or how alone or different you feel until you're surrounded by a bunch of people that you realize know nothing about your life or don't understand it or don't try to understand it. And it can leave you feeling very detached, adding to that loneliness. So definitely something for you guys to think about. Okay, so I really wanted to get to this very interesting section of the survey where I asked um, everybody, what would you say um, if, if you could say anything about this lifestyle um, in a way that you wouldn't feel judged by your spouse or other people, but you could say anything that you wanted to say, what would you want to say? Again, saying anything that you want to say and, and not feel like you're going to be judged for it. Um, this is where it got very, very interesting. Um, and this is where it really got honest. And I think that this is a really great thing for us to really camp out on and talk about, especially for those who maybe aren't doing as well um, as maybe they're putting off. Because I, I think that's a huge thing I see. Not I think, I know. Um, I see people putting on a mask and saying everything's fine when we have so many that are struggling. So um, a couple of things that stood out to me on this question Number one, that spouses um, really enjoy this lifestyle. A lot of a lot of you out there really love, even though it's challenging, even though it's difficult, that you really, really enjoy this lifestyle, and that it, if it were your choice, you wouldn't want to leave it. Um, I'm hearing more and more from our more seasoned spouses, those who've been in for a long time and they're approaching retirement. And the dynamic that I'm actually hearing about now is that the serving spouse, the, the police officer, the firefighter, the military member um, is approaching this time of retirement and they're tired. Maybe their body feels broken there. That It has been a job that they've enjoyed and they've enjoyed the camaraderie of it too, but they're ready for that job to transition to something different. And they're ready for that retirement. They're ready to decide when they work out, you know, and not be forced to do it at 630 in the morning or um, ready to have their own schedule. And what I'm hearing from the, the spouses of those that are approaching retirement is a growing anxiety of this has become my identity. This is who I am. This has been my life for so long. I don't know if I want to leave it. And I don't know how to tell my spouse that. And that has been a growing like people are slowly starting to kind of reveal that more and more that as they're approaching that transition that's part of what makes it so difficult transitioning into retirement is you know we can be frustrated at this lifestyle but when it's all you've ever known 
and it's become your identity through volunteering, through um, serving your country or your community by supporting your spouse, or maybe your dual service and you've been doing it for a long time as well, that that can be a huge, scary transition. Um, in fact, I talked to a couple of a couple of people lately that they were talking about retirement. Where are we going to go for retirement? And they were talking about going to somewhere far away from an installation. And the spouse was really nervous about that because they didn't know if they could fit into the community that they had always envisioned living close to an installation where they would still feel like they were part of the community and that that was scary for them. So I thought that was interesting that spouses are saying, I don't want to leave and it scares me to think about leaving. And so I don't know how to even say that to my spouse. Um, Okay, other themes that stood out on that question, um, that the lack of community, we kind of addressed this on the last one, but the lack of community is excruciating, that they don't know how to express that to people exactly how lonely they are, and that some of them are also afraid to tell their spouses that as well, because um, reaching out to community is going to cost something, meaning um, there's a lot of families out there that don't want to get involved in spouse groups, whether it's first responder or military because of the fear of drama or cattiness. Um, and so some people out there feel like their spouse discourages that connection because of that. Um, some of you are really just tired and you don't know if you can just put yourself out there one more time. And But the loneliness is excruciating. And so if there was something that you could... Um, tell people without feeling judged was was really you just wanted to say how just truly lonely you are. And I hope that you guys hear that, hear me say that and go, I need to reach out to to someone because I feel that and that means other people feel that too. And maybe if we got together, this would be a whole lot easier. Um, and so I want to encourage those of you who are worried about um, drama or cattiness, especially women, because again, 99% of those that filled out this survey were women. So let me just talk to the women here for just a second. And actually, men, I want you to overhear me talking to the women, if you're listening, because this is important for you, too. There is an amazing book out there. I'm trying to get the author on the podcast, Um, but there's an amazing book out there called Leading Women Who Wound. Such an amazing book. Um, I will try to remember to put that in the show notes for this episode, Um, but it is a fantastic read for those of you who are in leadership or thinking about leadership. If you're um, running a group or or even want to, whether it's a Bible study or whether it's an FRG group, like it doesn't matter. Lead, leading Women Who Wound will walk you through understanding why women um, have conflict the way that they do, the way that they approach conflict, um, and how you can lead women through the dynamics of, of the drama, how to expect it, who to probably expect it from, how to create certain procedures or policy for your group that will reduce the amount of cattiness and drama that happens. Um, and I highly recommend you read it before you start a group because the it will increase the likelihood of everybody working together and understanding full well um, how to lead women and work with other women with that information. It will help you with figuring out how to reduce gossip and all of that. So I cannot stress that book enough. It is, it's one of those that I'm going to read like two or three times because it's just so full of amazing information. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that they would say um, that they are afraid to say to anybody else is the sacrifice um, of time and employment and just the amount of sacrifice of living this lifestyle and the cost that it is in their life. And so 
This is such a big one. Um, and this is one that people have a very hard time expressing because they're afraid of coming across like they're complaining or that they're discontent. And some of you are discontent and you're not telling your spouse, you're not talking about it or communicating it in a healthy way. And what happens when we don't talk about any of these things is that it builds up that resentment and then we explode or we go into depression, which is the opposite. And so it's very important for you to figure out how to communicate what the struggle is in your life because it will make you sick or destroy the relationships around you if you don't. So please hear me say, if you identify with any of these things and you're not talking about it in a healthy way, um, that's very important for you to do. And so what this one, this theme that kept popping up was spouses that were saying that they love the lifestyle, but the level of sacrifice that it asks of them is a lot. And so the amount of time it asks from them, the amount of energy to hold down the home front as much as you guys do, um, sacrificing your employment, um, those of you who want to work in your military and you're moving around a lot, those of you who are first responders and you want to work and it's just not the right season for that yet, or you don't know how to do that around the shift work of your spouse, um, that it costs a lot from you. And, um, and that is leading to an increasing number of not only um, those of you who are in burnout, but also increasing those of you who are experiencing compassion fatigue. So let me explain what compassion fatigue is. If you have been serving others, everybody else but yourself, for an extended amount of time, whether that's revolving around your spouse and his mood, your children and their moods, um, and you're taking care of people in the community and you're volunteering, if you're taking care of everybody else but yourself, you can find yourself in compassion fatigue. And what that looks like is kind of a numbing out and an apathy that settles over you where you just find yourself not caring anymore. And either you have no compassion left at all or You've, you've bottomed out so much that now it's coming up in anger. And if you're finding yourself there, this is a huge red flag um, of what it means to, to start taking care of yourself, to do something different, because it is a dangerous place to be if you are in your marriage or if you're parenting children and you're in a place of compassion fatigue, irritability, anger, um, rage even, um, anxiety, all of those things can start coming out um, and that's not the best version of you. And so we need to start asking ourselves, who does it? Who do I want to be? What does it look like for me to breathe life into my family? And if I'm in compassion fatigue or burnout, then I'm not giving my best to my family. And that starts with how do I breathe life into myself first? You know, I'm kind of tired of the metaphor of put the oxygen mask on yourself before putting it on the children. But it's it is on some level true on self care. Um, and being a supporting spouse or just, you know, human in general in relationships that if you're not taking care of yourself, um, that's a, you're going to see some pretty big red flags showing up. So, um, so here's how I want to sum up, um, this section. Those of you who are not doing well, um, are, are really, really not doing well. I mean, more than, more than just the compassion, fatigue, burnout, and loneliness, if I were to ask the question, how are you really doing? What, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? And this is where it got really real in the survey. You know, out of almost 750 responses, um, there was at least five or six people who gave some kind of answer like, I'm suicidal. Like right now, I'm suicidal. And this is, was not a survey that I could 
respond or or follow up or or whatever. And and five doesn't sound like a lot in 750 people, but that is five too many. It's six too many. And I don't know how many more just didn't answer that, um, answer that question honestly. But that's too many already. And there was a far majority of you out there that answered that question, I am not doing well. Um, I'm, some of you didn't even answer the question, but the follow-up questions of like, what were your identity? What did you feel your sense of identity was? And, and all of that, um, that you were struggling with that as well. So I took that empty answer to mean, I don't even, it's just, I just feel empty. I don't even know how to answer that question. I just have nothing left. And so it was really, let, let me just read off a couple of these. Um, so the question is, Answer this question with the first thing that comes to your mind. How are you really doing? And I'm just going to throw out a couple of responses. Struggling, stressed, tired, exhausted, um, one day at a time, terrible, um, swimming in the deep end without a life preserver. Um, I'm lonely. It's not easy. And I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I'm really not doing well at all. I'm frustrated. I am in, I'm lonely and in pain. Um, I'm surviving, but I'm trying to do better. I'm mentally exhausted. Let's see, what else? I'm depressed. I am coasting. I'm, I no longer have an identity. Um, I'm doing, I'm barely holding on as we navigate alcoholism and not having a safe, safe place to turn to and it's an impact on our marriage. Um, I feel like I never truly escape and unwind and I'm always worried about my kids when, when they're not around. Um, we are not doing well. That was just a few of the many, many majority of you who were honest in saying, for whatever reason, I am not doing okay. Um, and that makes me incredibly sad. And so I think we need to um, switch here and talk about what about the ones that are doing well. Um, so like I said, we got to sit in that pocket and talk about it and be honest with it. And I hope that this is a wake up call for those of you listening to go, you know what, if I am doing okay, there is definitely others out there who are not. And so we need to be aware that there are people that are struggling and they may be right next door to you. They may be at that coffee group or at that dinner or at that event and they may say that they're doing okay, but they are not. And we have got to take off the masks and we've got to be more authentic with each other and ask each other truly, like, how are you really doing? And who can I be for you in your life? And if I am if I am bottomed out and I'm not doing great, it's okay for me to say, you know, I'm, I'm not doing so great myself. I don't know if I can be somebody in your life to necessarily help you um, really thrive, but I can meet you where you're at. And maybe that's a beginning. So it's very important that we hear that and we ask ourselves, where are we on this continuum? Continuum, So we can decide um, at least how do we find that support in each other. And I think that this is a huge wake up call for us to actually start considering that. Okay, so let's talk about those that are actually are doing great. And I think there's something that we can learn from them and see what it is that they're applying in their life so that those of you who are really struggling, like those that I read off, can hear this and maybe ask yourselves, what can I do today to at least move in the direction and start to change the season of my life? Okay, so here are some themes 
that I picked up from those who responded that they were actually doing pretty great. Um, I went through the responses and those that had answered that, I kind of looked through all of their responses to kind of pick up on what are these things, what are these people doing? Um, or what reflects the fact that they are doing so great? Is it a particular attitude? Is it something that they're doing for self-care? Um, is it some way that they're involved somewhere? What is it that they're doing that um, contributes to them actually doing really great during this season of their life? So here's a couple things that I saw. Number one, those that were doing well were taking the time to take care of themselves. I can't tell you the number of people that were doing great that said, this life is difficult, I've embraced that it's difficult, but I make time for me time every single day or every single week to do something for myself. So here's what I hear from those people. They have realized that this life, whether you are a service family or not, it is true about life that it will suck every bit of life and energy out of you if you let it. If you continue to like outpour yourself to everybody around you without end and without taking care of yourself, at some point you're going to feel taken advantage of because at the end of the day, nobody's going to take care of you better than you taking care of yourself. And if you are sitting around waiting for other people to take care of you, it's probably not going to come at least in the way that you need it the most. So the people that were actually in a really good spot in their life were people who said, you know what, I have to take the initiative to do this for myself and I'm a better mom and a better wife and a better volunteer um, because of it. And so I, meaning these, these other spouses, decided to take that time, whether it was 20 minutes every day to themselves to read, to do a devotional, um, that they go get their nails done, a few of them said that, um, that they, I, I, there's somebody out there, I'm not going to say her name, but there was one spouse that I know of that not in the survey, but has separately told me that she learned this from the empowered spouses retreat. When we taught this, that she goes and has a, a, like a cookie or something every week in the closet where her kids can't see. And it's just for her. It's not for her to share. Like, um, it's those little tiny things. And she, for her, that was revolutionary. It just was the beginning of her taking care of herself. So that's number one, they're making the time and it's up to you to figure out what kind of time do you need. Um, the sabbatical that I just went on, which by the way, I don't go anywhere. I'm just at home and I just try to be more intentional with my time at home. But I have figured out for me that I need to get up early before anybody else gets up and I need to go by myself, not even where my husband or, or the kids are going to be walking through that area, but I've got to have that at least 20 minutes to sit quietly with my thoughts um, and just allow myself to be still. Um, I do have my like to-do list that if something comes to my mind, I just quickly jot it down, but it's not meant to be a, a business session. Um, it is a time for me to be quiet and still. I also realize how important it is for me to go to the gym every morning before the day starts. If I don't do it before the day starts, I find myself just getting busy and it just doesn't happen. And then I give myself away all day long and I never took care of myself. Um, on the weekends, I read a book that I don't have the time to do during the week. So that's it's a time to put away all the digital devices if possible and focus on um, something that's slow and thoughtful and um, where I'm actually sitting still in, the, in a chair reading a book. It's amazing. You guys should try it. 
Um, so to wrap up that point, those that are doing well all reflected that they had some level of self-care in their life, that they took the initiative to apply in their own way and they weren't expecting anybody else to do it for them. They realized that with this lifestyle, they have to do that for themselves. Um, Number two, the second thing that I noticed that they do is that um, I asked them the question, and this is where I got this answer. I asked them the question, um, how would you describe your your purpose and your identity? I had previously, right before that, asked them, do you feel like you have a purpose and identity? I guess I should cover that first. 64% of people said that they felt like they have an identity outside of their role of supporting their spouse. So that's a pretty good number of 60%, but honestly, um, that's actually not a great number the way that I read it um, because I'm seeing about 17% say no, that that they don't see that they have an identity outside of that. That's a pretty, that's a lot of people. Um, and another 13% said they weren't sure. So I group those to actually together in one big number. And that's a lot of people. Um, that don't know what their sense of purpose is. Um, But even the 64% that said that they do have an identity outside of that, when I read through everybody's, uh, their definition of their identity and purpose, um, man, I wish I could, I'm giving you a big estimate on percentages here because I haven't been able to calculate these numbers. But I would guess that a good 80%, maybe 90% said that their identity and purpose was being a wife and mother or some or just a wife or just a mother something like that to me that's the same thing as that question before that says do you have a, an identity outside of your role as a as a supporting spouse so a huge majority of you right right now are identifying your purpose with being a wife and mother especially 99.7% of these were females. So guys listening, just kind of apply this to your life. I think it's important. Um, But I have a feeling if we were to interview the guys, I think we would get some different answers that we could learn from as well. Here's what I'm trying to say. A huge majority are not doing well because they feel that their sole purpose and identity is what they do for those around them. The ones that were actually doing great had discovered a sense of purpose and identity in addition to those roles. So I'm not gonna say instead of, because I am, you know, a huge part of my identity is being a wife and a mother. Um, But if you only see your identity and your purpose in what you're doing for other people, especially in your family, um, you're gonna find yourself burned out. You're gonna find yourself feeling um, limited. Um, Because think of it this way. If your only identity is supposed to be being a wife and a mother, what does that say about those women or those individuals out there who have not been able to find a spouse or who have not been able to have children? What is their identity and purpose if they're not able to play those roles? Would we not expect them to also be able to answer that they have an identity and a purpose outside of those roles? And why wouldn't you have that same level of purpose? So those that were doing really well in this season had been able to identify that they have 
great joy in serving their family and their marriage, but that they also discover that they found joy in doing something in addition. So whether they loved to craft and and give and create things and, and sell them or give them away, whether it was their job that made them feel a sense of joy and using their talents for something, whether it was volunteering where they were using their talents, um, whether it was... Um, finding you know a hobby or an activity that they enjoyed outside of the house whatever it was and it was greatly varied um these these people i I love this one this one person answered i am a believing wife and mama and i'm a killer salesperson like that person knows their talent right um somebody else said that they are creative that they are a teacher and a cancer fighter oh how amazing is that um, that somebody else said that they were a teacher. Somebody said they're a social worker, that I'm an optimistic, that that's how they identified themselves, that they want to bring light and positivity into not just their family, but the world. So here's here's another one that I think kind of recaps or kind of summarizes what I'm trying to say. I love this one. Um, it says, I've just recently discovered my identity as a servant, not as in a waitress, but as in a volunteer. Raising my children has been a blessing and I've found my heart and purpose are fulfilled when I can serve others, whether it's working with FRG, assisting a client at work or holding a friend's hand in their time of need. My heart feels full when I'm truly making someone else's day. I don't do it for recognition or praise, but for the joy it feels for the joy it fills me with. That is a spouse that has identified what brings her joy and is bringing it to other people. So my challenge to you on this is that if you are finding yourself lacking joy right now, ask yourself, what am I good at? What lights me up? What makes me happy when I do it outside of being the wife and being the mother? Do do those with excellence. And some of you are in a season where you've got young children and it feels like that's all you have the energy to do. And that's okay for you to do that for that season. But I'm also saying to some of you, Um, Because things are seasonal and things will change and you'll have more time and more bandwidth to give to other things in the future if that's what you want to do. And if you are fully content and fully filled with joy by by managing what's on your plate inside the home in front of you right now, that's okay too. But there's a difference between you knowing that that brings you joy and that's all you want to do right now. And those of you who are doing that and feeling limited or feeling depressed because you are needing something outside of that and you feel guilty that you need something outside of that. So if you don't know what your talents are, I strongly suggest you take the um, Gallup Strength Finder Assessment. Um, I provide coaching. There's other people that provide coaching out there to help you understand those results so that you can discover what you're really good at and who you've been created to be in this world and then fulfill that purpose in in a great way at home but also if you want to do something kind of in extension to that even if it's just with the neighbor next door one of our future episodes is going to be with Brittany Bacher. She was the 2017 uh, military spouse of the year. I think that yeah. And she has created Um, I think it's called Igniting Your Spark. And she is going around the country helping spouses um, understand that regardless of what season you are in in your life, that you can find joy right where you're at and discover what your purpose is right there. But you have to define it for yourself and not just 
um, live a life that's just meant to um, serve everyone else, not taking care of yourself and not knowing what you're good at, that you can apply that to whatever season of life you're in. So I can't wait to have her episode come up. You're going to really enjoy that here in the future. Um, Okay, the last thing that I want to cover is that those that were doing really well um, had a faith system. And I I can't ignore that in the data. Um, Those of you who would rather me not talk about faith, you can tune out now if you want to. Um, But I have to tell you the truth. And the truth is, is that those that were doing really well, who understood what their purpose and identity was, they could be a wife, they could be a mother. Um, Some of them could even experience purpose in um, serving other people outside of that. But those that were doing really well, that knew how to manage their perspectives, that knew how to have a how to change their attitudes towards the culture, towards their family members, knew how to address conflict and communication in their marriages, who um, had a sense of hope in their life, all had a faith system that they found their identity in first, not second, third or fifth. But their identity first was found in that they were a child of God, they were a Christ follower, or they were a Christian, or they were a Catholic, or, or whatever that meant. But they had a relationship with the Creator. And because they had that relationship with their Creator, their Creator defined their identity and was able to affirm who they are, was able to affirm what their talents actually are, and that they had a purpose in this world um, to raise up great children if they had them, to have an amazing marriage that could be a blessing to other people and it wasn't just something to keep to themselves, or had walked with them through seasons of pain and suffering that then helped them go out into the world and bring hope to other people because they could say that they had a relationship with God that got them through that, that helped them find their strength, and that that it was the only thing that could carry them through a life that was as difficult as it actually is. So my message to some of you out there that are listening that are in a place of darkness, um, that if you feel like there is nothing left for you, and if especially those of you who are listening that are just right on the brink of ending it all, if that is you, or if you know somebody that's like that, that it does not have to stay like that. Um, that reaching out to a friend can be the beginning, that you starting to take care of yourself can be a beginning, and that even in the darkest, quietest moments of your soul, when you are sitting there feeling like you are at your wit's end or your strength's end, because we will all find ourselves there. We will. I have almost on a daily basis experienced what it's like to reach the end of my human capacity. And last year was a huge reminder to me that I realized you know what? I eventually run out of content. I eventually run out of words and I eventually run out of hope to offer you. But you know where it really comes from? If I am really honest with you, it is my relationship with God that I would not have the marriage that I have if I didn't have a relationship with Jesus that teaches me every day how to be a servant to my spouse in a way that's also honoring to me because I have a creator that loves me and sees me as worth investing in and that I should believe that and invest in myself in a healthy way. And that that gives me the strength to love when I don't feel like loving, to have an attitude of kindness and positivity when I feel like I'm frustrated, um, that I can't do it without a relationship with the creator. And there are other people who are doing really well that only have that strength because they have found their purpose and identity um, in their creator, in something bigger than themselves, and have defined that as first in their life. And then they're a wife, then they're a mother, then they are a volunteer, then they are 
um, whatever they do in their career, then they have the talents that flow through them that make them feel like they make an impact in the world. But at the end of the day, they know that if they're trusting their own strength um, and their own mental capacity to do that, they will find themselves at an end and they will find themselves in burnout if they don't have something bigger than themselves and a faith system to carry them. So you asked for honest feedback and a place for honest conversation. I can't get more honest than that. So um, if you are doing great in this season, um, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to those with the, with the overflow that you have in your life to give back to those that are around you that maybe don't have the skill that you have or the perspective that you have and just need that warm hug or that casserole or that phone call or whatever that is, that if you find your place in a place of overflow, I hope that you will breathe life into those around you. And if you're not in a good place, that hopefully this episode has been encouraging to you. I hope that you will keep listening to the episodes throughout season four. I think it's going to give you so many opportunities to have life breathed into you and encouragement and actual practical ways that you can breathe life into your service family. Thank you for another opportunity, another season to invest in you. And I hope you're going to enjoy season four of the Life Giver Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or LifeGiver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.